0: Welcome to another Contractor's Best Friend podcast. I'm Brad Humphrey, and I think you're going to enjoy today's podcast, which is brought to us by 4 and Caterpillar. In fact, today, again, we have Jason Hurtis and Lonnie Fritz, both from Caterpillar Product Specialists. Guys, how are you guys doing today? Good. How are
1: you doing? Very good, Brad. All right. Good to see you.
0: All right, well, let's get right into our first podcast that we're going to uh, share today, and that is, how do we maximize construction site? I know the three of us have been on sites before, and there's certainly a difference between a greenfield area that's just opened versus one that many contractors work in. That's in the cities or where or, or there's buildings, school systems, and, and uh, that kind of thing. And efficiency becomes a much more important issue for the builder, for the contractor. Let's talk first about job site layouts and mapping. And I know it's important, but from your guys' perspective, even from an equipment standpoint, how important is that to either have – I mean, do we draw those things out? I mean, so many of these contractors are doing different things. What have you seen? not enough
1: i mean they don't draw it out enough they get you know the pipe and all the materials that they need they get all that planned out to the nth degree and then stuff just starts showing up and people are putting things everywhere so yeah they do have to plan that out because that makes an impact for for everything people movement machine movements traffic control um you know even even in a quarry you think well it's a yard you got 50 acres who cares well, I've been to a lot of quarries where their most popular material is at the back of the yard. Why don't you move that to the front?
0: Yeah.
1: And get your trucks in and out instead of having truck traffic go fifty acres to your most popular material for that month or quarter. Yeah. You know, and you're you're getting Machines in the way trucks in the way people in the way it causes safety issues and environmental hazards everything
0: yeah we're gonna talk I know on a future podcast we're gonna talk about lean a little bit in the construction and that's huge I mean I'm teaching it around the country with contractors. I know you guys are living it but the fact is a Deming who, who kind of created this mess we call quality <laughs> you know now it's lean construction <laughs> you know Deming very often said I actually had a chance to hear him speak before he passed away uh, back in the 90s which was a thrill for me but he always said that the more you move equipment the higher rate of incidents problems happening and i know from caterpillar any any operator any manufacturer of equipment knows that the more you move the equipment that you don't have to move you're going to increase the likelihood of something not good happening right
2: increase including increasing wear bread Exactly. <laughs> Wear and fuel burn and a lot of wasted. Well, you know, what are your, I know you've got, you've
0: got some <laughs> contracting experience in your own past. What, how significant was getting those maps and the sites yeah. organized?
2: Yeah. And I wanted to add that, Brad, as a former heavy and highway project manager, um, it always weighed heavily on my mind from the very beginning all the way throughout the job site. And that was, like you said, job site layout. Um, effective staging areas where do we put the staging areas so they don't become part of the job later and we have to move everything again. Uh, When you start anchoring down trailers and setting up those staging areas, which all come at a cost, um, you need to have them in the right place in the beginning. I know in previous podcasts, we'd talked about the usage of drones customers are literally using drones to fly their sites to create those aerial images to really strategically place staging areas how to set up the job Um, access and egress is a huge part of it Mm -hmm. and um, really just trying to drive those efficiencies and like you mentioned minimize machine movement
0: we are going to talk about drones in another podcast there's just so much information that we've talked about i think we've talked about drones in at least one of our previous podcasts but there's just so much more information on on that stuff and it keeps growing by leading and bound but we'll save that for another time the one thing i wanted to point out too is and this is something i look for when i go to a job site is there a
2: one-way traffic pattern on a site you guys know what i'm talking about So, How important is that? It's very important uh, just from the standpoint of safety, Brad. I mean, I think we'd all agree anytime we're driving forward or operating a machine, a vehicle, whatever it may be in the forward direction, it's going to be safer. Um, it's also the most efficient. Mm-hmm. So if we look at a cycle of load, haul, dump, return, say, mm-hmm. whether it be a scraper, articulated truck, um, going straight, going forward, most efficient, most safe, and everybody knows the direction of travel. Mm-hmm. we start getting two-way traffic implemented, well, one thing we need is wider haul roads are a wider working space yeah. and we just talked about the space constraint yeah, exactly. uh, if we can turn it into one way there's a lot of advantages and benefits that come with that
0: well you know a lot of times contractors that's something i that i try to work with them on is that you know think of a grocery store or home depot or lowe's or i don't want to give publicity away or advertising away for these guys but you know if you go to any of the big box stores there's always a natural flow for that you know and and the thing is the the contractors that really are planning for that, A, they're going to cut down on, on safety issues. There's no doubt about that, Lonnie. I agree with you totally. But it's just smoother and faster. And and I know it's got to be the same whether you're in the mines or, or – or out in the open right yeah i mean
1: how many quarters you've been to where you're pulling and there's a map right there and they're telling you where the materials are at and which way the traffic flow is and then they have you know you weigh on this scale going in and then you come out you weigh on a different scale because they're trying to keep everything flowing as efficiently as possible and minimize the the time wasted yeah you know on their job because they want the trucks on and
0: off or the movement on the job itself and and some of our listeners the the younger ones may not have maybe heard the term kaizen kaizen is a japanese term for continuous improvement one of the tools of kaizen is called the 5s map and the 5s stands for there's five different uh levels of cleanliness basically it started in the manufacturing world but in construction I've, i've seen it used and i've seen 5s maps like you said up on a fence or in the office and the 5s map is literally where they're staging things but the map identifies what is there so we have even less time spent going to get something in the back and i can see this working in, in, in a quarry as well as on an open job site
1: yeah, and it saves communication and cell phones and radios
0: Victor. and where do i go where do you want me to go where do you want me to place this one of one of the things that i wanted to ask you guys about also is what happens it's easy if it's just one contractor on a site, that's one thing. <laughs> but come on, you, some of these sites you guys go to, th- there might be five to eight different specialty subcontractors. A GC may not even be doing any self-performing work, so it's all subbed out. And you get the concrete, and there's usually just concrete guys, but pretty soon the steel guys come in, and then the electrical guys come in, yada, yada, yada. How, what insights, what advice can you give these these contractors on, okay, when it gets to be and if you're not the GC and you're the sub-trade guy, how do you deal with the other contractors when you need some space and they ain't giving it to you?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's paramount to understand who the orchestrator and the band is. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of players on many sites, especially when you get in the commercial world. Um, my background in the heavy construction world is, yeah, there can be several Um, subcontractors there, Brad. Um, If the GC owns that project per se and has that relationship with the client to deliver the job, then the general contractor is the one orchestrating and kind of dictating in a nice way. Uh, The subcontractors that may be working for them. If you get into a CM, a construction management where the CM may not be providing or producing any of the work, but they're ultimately responsible for the schedule, for uh, again orchestrating the workflows and what have you then usually they're at the controls in the driver's seat
0: there's a lot of burden and i mean financial and legal burden that are being placed more and more on the sub trade market that that are using your equipment as you know And, and these are some great contractors i've met some great men and women who are leading these companies and are leaders in those companies but one of the things they are realizing is that more and more of these construction contracts that they're signing up for Puts a lot of the pressure on them, the the the, uh, the liabilities on them. So one thing I would really echo what you just said is, especially and take it further. If you are a special, tr- you know, subtrade specialist contractor, which most of our listeners probably are, the fact of the matter is, you better really make sure you know what that job site's going to look like, where you're going to be able to stage and in store your equipment, especially your equipment, and then your supplies and materials if you have any. And get that, you better get that almost written out before you get started. Uh, because, by golly, if you break something or you break down, you may be the one liable for it, even though you may not have caused it necessarily. So, I just think it's an important thing for us to realize, and especially from an equipment standpoint, because obviously, you know, the equipment's not cheap and there's no reason for us to increase the likelihood of an accident or an incident or something like that. Yeah, the
2: GCs use uh, subcontractors a lot not only to leverage their expertise, like you mentioned, Brad, Mm -hmm. but also to transfer risk. That's exactly right. And transfer it to those experts. You know, a bridge painting subcontractor that does it every day, all day, every year, is very specialized. They're set up for it. They have the expertise, and then it's how do they manage them and, and schedule them and get them in the workflow.
0: Yeah, you know, three of us could talk about risk management at another time, and that could take up a lot of podcast time I know but that's a big deal today and litigation is up in the industry of course construction's up the buildings up so we see more litigation today and it is amazing to me my clients uh, the the contractors that are that are really struggling with <laughs> you want to work well with your client with if it's a GC or an end user you know and you want to have a good relationship with them but then there's that legal liability issue hanging out there and we just got to be careful with that one other question I want to ask you guys and and you sort of, uh, Lon. You kind of hit it. If if the GC is the if the controller of the site, how do you? What would you guys suggest? How, how do we negotiate either with the GC as a contractor or other contractors for staging of in materials or or, or or equipment or even sharing sharing equipment, which does happen on job sites quite a bit.
2: Any thoughts on that? There's a lot of pre-planning that goes on, Brad. Yep. You know, so again, it goes back to who's ultimately responsible for the job. Who is contracted with the subcontractor? Who does the subcontract hold the contract with? So again, I'd like to go back to my experience um, as a project manager. My subcontractors, I already had locations earmarked for them, right. trying to keep their resources. But Lonnie, as close were you to open to that negotiate
0: that? Though I don't mean to talk over you, but the fact is, I know you had that. But were you open for negotiation if, if a contractor were able to prove perhaps a better placement of equipment? or?
2: Yeah, I was, Brad. I was open to that because at the end of the day, we're all in it for the common good. That's right. We all have a schedule to meet. We all have budgets to meet. And if we can't work together, then there's going to be disarray and, and, and friction. And at the end of the day, nobody gets done. Nobody's a winner. So, yes, I always try to be open-minded because… Um, You know, it's the knowledge is power and it comes with numbers, and uh, somebody may have a better idea. Maybe it's something I was overlooking. So uh, I think being open minded in life in general is a a key. And uh, on the job side, it's very important as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, Jason, from an equipment, some of the equipment you
0: guys are dealing with is huge. I mean, any words of wisdom, on uh, maybe some final thoughts on when you got large pieces of equipment that you're going to have to mobilize, put on a job site, what are the things that are going, what should go through the contractor's mind when they're preparing for that? Biggest in first.
1: I mean, if you have multiple sizes of machines, you know, you got big loaders or big trucks, and then you have skid steers, small excavators, bring the big stuff in first. They're going to take up the most room. They're going to have the longest trailers. Then the smaller stuff can come in second. That seems to be a lot more efficient than trying to move small and big all at the same time.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And we've also seen contractors, you know, that will have a staging yard off of the job. So all the machines will, you know, be dropped 200 yards down the road and then locally mobilized onto the job site as needed to, again, minimize the. The impact of the actual job site itself
0: you that's you, you, gold what you just said and i just ran into this a few weeks ago on a site where they had equipment they were probably i i walked onto the job site and and i know you guys have seen this before it was i'm thinking I'm, I'm rat i mean right now we're talking about rats a lot in the news right it seems like but it was like a rat infested job yeah. site with equipment and there was and the fact is they did have room and we wound up negotiating with the owner of a lot, two lots down, that said no. Hap- I think they give him, I don't know, five hundred dollars mm. a month or something like that to be able to park equipment there. And it was not gonna, it wasn't gonna be an unsafe situation. In fact, there was a back alleyway almost that we ran the equipment down. I don't remember about it. But, but I, I say that you, you just hit on gold. You know, you, you got to stage. We talk about staging, phasing of construction projects, but we need to stage our equipment too, in terms mm-hmm. of how we're getting it on, how we're getting it off. Right. Yes. So, again to make it more efficient. Make it much more efficient because what we're after and we want to make more money. Well, this has been a great uh great podcast. Appreciate the information you guys provide for us. Uh, be be uh, be sure to to contact uh, your uh, your dealers, especially your Caterpillar guys. You're buying equipment from, renting from. We're ha- we've had podcasts on that, and we're just very thankful for the information that uh, that we get and can be supported by by Caterpillar. So thank you for that, guys. Thanks for being here today. Thank and you. for this topic. Thank you, Brad. Hope it does uh, does many good things for a lot of contractors. Thank you.